to None Dare Call It Ordinary, a podcast that digs into the unusual, unorthodox, and downright unsettling beliefs found at the depths of the internet and the heights of paranoia. I'm your host, Dylan, and with me is the befuddled Brent and the bonafide forest. <laughs> I am a bonafide, there, huh? bonafide forest. He is bonafide, <laughs> and yes, that is a little bit of foreshadowing. I'm not a spiritual master, so just so you we, know. I'm just a bona fide forest. Well, we're we're gonna see about that as the uh, show progresses Ooh. here. And just a few announcements before we begin. One, we have a new patron, Rosalie Ooh. Hancock. Thank you so much for your patronage. And always, we want to remind you that for one dollar a month, you can support us on Patreon, Patreon.com/slash None Dare Call It Ordinary. And for five dollars a month, you get access to our monthly bonus episodes. Also, you can find us on Twitter at NDCIO and Instagram at None Dare Call It Ordinary. That's where you'll find all your news about us and as well as any images or videos that we find. And lastly, we always want to ask if you could rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever your podcasts are served. All right. So, Dylan, um, we're done with spiritual warfare. We are. We had to take three episodes for that one. That was a intense series but what is it today that we're talking about today we are talking about something just as intense we are talking (laughs) about democratic primary candidate tulsi gabbard and the cult she happens to be a part of the science of identity foundation led by one chris butler and we're gonna start with a bit of an introduction on tulsi gabbard herself and i believe brent has more to say about that That's right. So who is Tulsi Gabbard? Tulsi Gabbard was born in American Samoa. Her family moved to Hawaii when she was two years old. So according to a New Yorker article, quote, she was both a tomboy and a nerd. (laughs) Tulsi was homeschooled growing up. Environmentalism was Gabbard's very first political passion. And this was born out of her love for the ocean, where she still to this day enjoys spending a lot of her free time paddleboarding and things like that, surfing. Tulsi's family were very involved in politics. Tulsi's mother, Carol Gabbard, was on the State Board of Education. Her father, Mike Gabbard, was a leading anti-gay rights activist for a decade. Hmm. So that's, uh, didn't see that coming. In fact, he was really pissed off about a gay character on Dawson's Creek. (laughs) So much so, he flew out to North Carolina to protest the filming of the show. (laughs) Which, I mean, I would have just flown out there anyway just to protest the show because it's kind of a shitty show. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. I know Katie Holmes listens to this podcast. That would be the, that, yeah, that's what, that would be the reason to protest it. Yeah. And I just, I just have to say, due to the nature of our show, we cover a lot of high grade losers, right? That's kind of our bread and butter. But this has to be in the top three most loseriest acts of all time, protesting the show <laughs> Dawson's Creek because there, there's what, a gay character in it or something? That like, how, yeah, how pathetic can you get? And you say top three, I can't even think of two others that yeah, pop that down. Very so well that could be, be. I'm just being generous here. All right, according to an article in The Intelligencer, quote, when Tulsi was 14, her father founded a nonprofit called Stop Promoting Homosexuality America and began hosting a radio show called Let's Talk Straight Hawaii. <laughs> I guess like straight is in straight people. Apparently, aloha means fuck you if you're gay. So that's um, a little it's a very fact, versatile word. Yeah. So Gabber began her political career when she was only 21 years old, where she ran as a Democrat for the Hawaii State House of Representatives. 
Her father also won a seat on the nonpartisan Honolulu City Council. Mike and Tulsi co-founded Stand Up for America, which promoted environmentalism. The group even received a government grant to send Tulsi Gabbard into schools dressed up as a, quote, pollution-fighting superhero named Water Woman, oh. um, which I think that's just Captain Planet's wife, if I'm not mistaken. I, I'm not sure, but... Tulsi is currently pro-choice and pro-same-sex marriage, but when she first entered politics, she was much more socially conservative, due mostly to her father's influence. She was what? vocal. Yeah, what? She was vocal and active in the fight against same-sex marriage and abortion rights for women. In 2003, Gabbard joined the National Guard. She volunteered. All right, shut to- up. She's a hero. You exactly. can't say any more bad things about her. We're done. done. Shut down the podcast right now. Oh, man. She volunteered to go to Iraq. Even though okay, it now wasn't now, Brand, you mandatory. have to stop. You have to. She volunteered to go to Iraq. She's a yeah, hero. Stop I know, it. and she, it wasn't even mandatory. Oh God. Okay, shut yeah. down the podcast. We're done. Okay, so when she's in Iraq, she became a medical operations specialist and a military police officer on a base located in the Sunni Triangle. She attended. I imagine an that's officer- like the Bermuda Triangle, but actually it dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> she attended an officer candidate school in Alabama until she was deployed for a second time to Kuwait. She says her deployment in the Middle East helped form her political realignment. And by 2012, she was pro-choice and pro-same-sex marriage. So I, this is something I don't understand. So she joins the army. She goes into the Middle East. She goes into Iraq. She goes into Kuwait. And that made her pro-choice and pro-same-sex marriage? What do those things have to do with <laughs> it, each other? It's, it is confusing. Yeah, and if that's true, because all we hear is that the Middle East just absolutely hates gay people everywhere, so right. we need to have well, things that's, revamped. Yeah. And, if okay, going so, there makes, makes you more loving. In fairness, according to the article, um, the New Yorker article, she's quoted um, by saying this about that, quote, experiencing as a woman firsthand the impacts of countries that are acting as moral arbiters of their people. It really caused me to rethink the positions I held. So I guess she saw. So basically, she didn't have the imagination and foresight (laughs) on her own to imagine (laughs) what paddleboarding, like what the conclusions of her political positions would be. Right. And so she had to actually see it go there to realize that these are bad ideas. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Okay, that makes sense. So shortly after the presidential election of 2016, Gabbard decided to meet with President Trump to discuss the case for a future of American non-interventionism. So we all Mm. know that openly bragging about going into countries and just taking their oil is very non-interventionist. That is what we Yeah, we're not intervening with the people, just the oil. It's the civil forfeiture of foreign policy. There are still people on the internet, you can find them very easily, that believe Trump is some kind of principled non-interventionist. Like, it's very bizarre. You lost me at Trump principled. He said Trump principled and Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like, can't believe it. (laughs) He steals oil, but he abandons (laughs) the Kurds. Therefore, he's a non-interventionist. Great strategy. Got it. So only a few months after she flew to Syria to meet with the brutal dictator Bashar al-Assad. She agreed with Assad that the U.S. military should stop intervening in Syria. A patriotic move, if you will. But what do I know? I'm just a neocon on a neocon podcast. Right, guys? Yeah, we... No one respects us. We just want war. And as we all learned from the Lyndon LaRouge series, we all know that Assad is just a hero standing up for his people, fighting off the evil Western imperialists. We know it's that simple, that straightforward. I mean, he has enough of a time dealing with those white helmets who are just (laughs) terrorizing the population. I mean... Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's truly a transcendent figure. That's scary. 
It was in 2012 when Gabbard joined the Democratic primary in Hawaii, going up against the former mayor of Honolulu, Mufi Hannerman. And I believe this would be for Congress. Yeah, you're right. For the House seat. Yeah. Not the Senate. That's in right. In case Ann Coulter is listening, <laughs> I want to remind right. you, she never ran for, nor has ever been, a senator. So she eventually- <laughs> I just love how much confidence she had in tweeting that out. That was wonderful. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty incredible. She eventually beat Hanneman by 20 percentage points. Once she won this race, the general election was a shoe-in for her, and she easily beat the Republican opponent, because Hawaii is extremely blue. In 2013, Gabbard was appointed vice chair of the Democratic National Committee, but eventually resigned from the position to endorse Bernie Sanders over Hillary Clinton. Tulsi considered Hillary a war hawk, committed to increasing our military presence across the globe. That's right. You tell him, Putin. I'm sorry, Gabbard. You tell him, Gabbard. Yeah, see, this is what you don't understand. Only a true dove advocates purely for organic, locally sourced authoritarianism. We can't have it coming from overseas. We just have to let it blossom where it lands. (laughs) My favorite is still when Donald Trump said to Alex Jones, like, nobody is more militaristic than me. It's like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) That was a good one. So Steve Bannon, ah, too many shirts. What else did you say about him? You said he was, um, he looked like he was in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah, he looks like he should be, he should have his face melted in Raiders of the yes, Lost Ark. that's <laughs> it. Like it's already happening, actually. Yeah, his face is already melted, yes. Like partially melted. All right, so Bannon invited Gabbard to the White House to speak with Trump about U.S. foreign policy. I'm sure it was productive. After meeting with President Trump, she said, quote, I walked out thinking that there may be some opportunity to work with this administration to shift our foreign policy in a more positive, less destructive direction. Wow. Like stealing countries' national resources after a war. Yeah, I mean, in fairness, if you want to steal something, you probably won't destroy it. That's true. So it will be a less destructive. (laughs) Also, just so everyone knows, like the the ultimate uber original non-interventionist intellectual is Noam Chomsky. And even he says it's a bad idea to abandon the Kurds. So that tells you pretty much everything about Trump's so-called non-interventionism. So Tulsi met with Assad again, traveling with her husband this time. She spoke to Assad about U.S. foreign policy. Gabbard said that Assad wanted democracy for Syria and that she believed him when he said that he wanted Syria to have free and fair elections. Oh, that says everything. I don't, I honestly don't know about you guys, but I'm starting to become comfortably numbed at this point. This is just... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> too much look 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 look. meet with Assad once shame on you meet Assad twice shame on you again <laughs> I think that's how that I think that's how that saying goes it's true and even the real saying by Bush is <sighs> still ah uh, it sounds like wonderful compared to what's happening now okay after a horrific sarin gas attack in Syria took place Gabbard stated that she was quote skeptical that Assad's government was behind them it was obviously the Babylonians. Yeah, specifically the Babylonian British white helmet Rockefellers yep. were at it again. Oh, They're the culprits. You forgot Muslim Satanists, but yeah. Oh, oh that's true. Too. Them and too. eco-fascists. Yeah, yeah, so I yeah, think yeah, we got to yeah. throw them in there. That's true. So who Tulsi Gabbard's base is exactly while in Congress is a bit confusing to say the least. According to the Intelligencer, quote, Tulsi Gabbard does not behave like a representative who wants to remain in Congress. She appears to be building Wait, wait, a- hold on. She doesn't? No. Oh, wait, that's right. She's giving up her congressional career. Oh, okay, anyway. 
she appears to be building a political platform for another office. Hmm. And that office will be in the Fox News building. If I- <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, hey. Just, you know, just because you constantly go on Tucker Carlson doesn't mean you aren't loyal to your political party. No, so many Democrats this, watch Tucker Carlson. Yeah. This intelligence or article is That's a bit fair. of prophecy because turned out, yeah, she did not remain in Congress. She is not seeking re-election mm-hmm. as a representative. Gabbard's legislative record is comprised of constantly introducing messaging bills, seemingly hopeless pieces of legislation and non-committee specific, which most often involve the environment. She also voted to end the federal marijuana prohibition. She voted for a bill backed by Sheldon Adelson to end internet gambling, as well as a resolution supporting Trump's efforts in diplomacy with North Korea. Quote, unquote, diplomacy. Yes, diplomacy, quote, unquote. She's got a bit of everything, right? She's got the libertarian thing by trying to end federal marijuana prohibition. She's like got the conservative thing to end internet gambling. And then she's got the authoritarian thing with like Trump and his buddy, buddy thing with Kim Jong-un. Perfect. So. It's a perfect, yeah, like, perfect mix. So I, I laughed at the Intelligencer article says, quote, it's not uncommon to introduce symbolic bills meant to signal something to constituents. It's just very hard to imagine the anti-gambling, pro-marijuana, pro-Trumpian diplomacy constituent to which Tulsi appears to be signaling. <laughs> okay, okay. So Tulsi Gabbard. Now it's time for her to meet this person we're talking about called Chris Butler in this episode. Ooh, <laughs> he's got all go. sorts of ideas. He's a thought leader for sure. He is. Oh, God. One of the top truest. thought leaders. So if asked, Tulsi Gabbard will tell you she identifies as a Hindu, the first Hindu member of Congress. But there was a spiritual thought leader who played a central role in Gabbard's spiritual journey. It's a man she refers to in a 2015 video as Guru Dev which means spiritual master. And his name is Chris Butler. (laughs) Spiritual master. So yeah. Please. Who is Chris Butler? Well, we need to back up further to 1965 to first meet, and I, goddamn, let's see if I can do it. Do it. A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhu Pada. Good job. That's a tough name to pronounce. That's a tough name. It's very slow on it. So I will from now on just call him A.C. Slater. (laughs) So we'll just go with uh, Say by the Bell. Okay. So A.C. Slater was an elderly Indian man. That's an odd sentence. Who started (laughs) preaching in Tompkins Square Park in New York's East Village. This drew a decent crowd that eventually morphed into the Hare Krishna movement. So with the movement, Westerners were being introduced to a 500-year-old Hindu tradition known as Goidia Vashnava. So from these early days in Tompkins Square Park until he died in 1977, A.C., as I'm going to call him from now on, traveled across the globe preaching. It was during the 70s as A.C.'s message reached Hawaii, specifically reaching a young surfer and yoga instructor named Chris Butler. So the intelligencer describes Butler as a, quote, 30-something tan, sandy-haired Caucasian an aging beach boy in lays and white linen. When I think of a Hindu spiritual master, that's the image that pops up into my mind. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Butler became enamored by AC's teaching, specifically his annotated version of the Bhagavad Gita. In this version, one can find out that it pleases Lord Krishna to not eat meat or spicy food, oh. which would, quote, cause misery by producing mucus in the stomach. Oh, any any mention of mucus in the brain, because I think <laughs> that's the real concern here oh. with all these high-level ideas floating around. I don't know. We need to trepan it, see if it's in there. Oh, oh, oh. 
So AC visited Butler in Hawaii. Since Chris became such a master thought leader, AC gave Chris a new name, which I'm not even going to pretend I know how to pronounce, but I'll yeah, try Yeah, he anyway. doesn't deserve it, frankly. No, Chris Butler so I'm, just gonna, I'm just going to see what happens. Yeah, here. it doesn't matter. You don't have to pay respect to his name. So. <laughs> right, exactly. Just say it. His name's Chris Butler, for fuck's sake. All right. I'll- I'll try Sid it. Haswara oh. up on Nada para Mahamasa. So that's Hey, that, that sounds pretty good. We're moving on. It's actually pretty good. <laughs> However, Better not, than he deserves. Not pretentious at all. However, not long after this promotion, the two men didn't see eye to eye on spiritual matters. Mm. AC thought Butler was teaching non-orthodox Harry Krishna principles, while Chris thought it was dumb that AC forced his followers to wear robes and shave their heads. <laughs> well, it's cramping his beach boy style. <laughs> That's Dude, his complaint. That sandy hair go. Yeah. That's when you know that someone is not dedicated to their spiritual teachings if they just will not give up their surfer lifestyle in order to reach the highest level of enlightenment. If you can't move beyond <laughs> that, you will never be enlightened. So AC eventually died and the Harry Krishna movement broke apart. So Butler seized on this opportunity to create his own group called the Science of Identity Foundation. This spread from Hawaii to New Zealand, Australia, and even Southeast Asia. You know, honestly, guys, Science of Identity Foundation sounds a little too close to Science of Identity Politics Uh Foundation for my liking. You know, this features two things that we should all hate. That is science and identity politics. Disgusting. I don't even get them out of my face. (laughs) So a fun side note, actually, according to the Intelligencer article, Chris Butler's father was a proud communist. He loved the Soviet Union and thought that North Korea was a paradise for workers. According to- <laughs> uh, might have been wrong about that one. Paradise. According to the article, quote, when Kurt brought home a geography book from school that mentioned political repression in the USSR, his father called it lying propaganda. As opposed to the truthful propaganda you'll find in Pravda. That's right. That's right. Pravda yeah. translates to the truth. So there you go. In the 1970s, a group representing itself as a multi-faith coalition of conservative-minded citizens made their presence known in Hawaii. They called themselves the Independence for Godly Government, and the dozen or so were comprised solely of Butler disciples. In 1984, Butler published Who Are You? Discovering Your Real Identity, which according to the New Yorker article, quote, uses examples from science to argue that materialism was false and that the self was real and eternal. Butler barely mentions Krishna or the Bhagavad Gita in his works at all. Because you know what? That shit is old and outdated. So Yeah, yeah. We need to we need the new and hip arguments about materialism and the self from the 17th century. That's yeah. really that's where really the action is. That's woke. Yes. I'm skeptical what the New Yorker article says about uses uh-huh. examples from science. I'm pretty sure that's not true. Yeah. He probably, right. I mean. Yeah, uh, he used examples from, quote, science. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, good point. What he thought was science. (laughs) From a cursory look at maybe a science book. In the 1980s, Butler openly criticized same-sex attraction. He wrote that bisexuality was out of control, quote, sense gratification. He also cautioned that this sexual conduct would lead to pedophilia and bestiality. Well, of course. He said, quote, of course it would. He said, quote, an increasing number of women in the United States keep dogs for sexual reasons. Citation? Um, no, actually, I think women keep dogs as demon receptacles just in case they become possessed with demons. Oh. They can't just cast, you know, they can just cast them into the dog so it could jump out the window of a moving car. That's right. So. Yeah. See, you don't need a very large shield of faith 
if you just don't give a shit about anybody else. You can have a smaller shield of faith just for yourself. It's easier to Aren't maintain. Are you confused by this reference? Check out the Spiritual Warfare series. None dare call it ordinary. All right. So Butler graced the world with some television specials of his tan ass teaching. Man, I really went editorial on that one. Tan ass. I said with his Your tan ass teaching showing. while ch- I was really biased on that one. You know, you know he's sunbathing in the nude. I think oh, we yeah. know for a fact his ass is tan. Yeah, yeah. That's, I think that's a fact. Um, shows him teaching while chilling on a couch surrounded by his students. Well, one of those students was Mike Gabbard, Tulsi's father. Uh, dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Though Mike identifies as a Catholic, he was interested in Hinduism since the 1970s and even spoke with old A.C. Slater about starting his own temple at one point. Got to get your temple. So in 1983, when the Gabbard family moved to Hawaii, they became involved as disciples for Butler. When Tulsi was a young girl, she spent two years in the Philippines at an informal school run by the followers of Butler. You know, science of identity classes are just so much more useful than actual science classes. I mean, let's be real. All Mm -hmm. right, students, just remember that A equals A. All right, class dismissed. (laughs) (laughs) No homework. All right, so Gabbard paints a pleasant picture of her childhood where they sang spiritual songs on the beach. She says she learned martial arts and became a passionate gardener. However, defectors from Butler's group told a different story. These ex-members consider themselves survivors of a cult, a very abusive cult. Some even told stories of members returning to Hawaii after traveling who had to be quarantined for several days so that they didn't pass on any possible contagious disease to butler he's just so precious yeah i don't mean to uh, search his name but forrest if you ever became a cult leader i think this would be part of your program oh yeah for sure so some other fun stories from defectors include followers having to fall prostrate on the ground whenever butler entered the room some even ate spoonfuls of sand that butler walked on while others added some of butler's nail clippings to their food oh which I think, I don't know about you guys if you watch the show, but I think I saw that recipe on the Great British Baking Show. Oh. It was Cult Week, I think. <laughs> yeah. Week, yeah, it was uh, the week following Pastry Week, which if I'm not mistaken. I just remember, though, that Paul was not impressed with the nail clipping souffle. The clippings made the cake a bit stodgy. Mm, it was better luck next time. It that. was even claggy with a yeah. soggy bottom. Style over substance. A bit of a disappointment. Oh, I like man. this. Like you, you are not allowed to bring me your germs, but please eat my toenail clippings. Well, yeah, because Chris doesn't have any that's germs. Right. It's oh. you know he, that's how you cure them. Yeah. I see. It's kind of a vaccine, if you will. That's perfect. According to the Intelligencer article. When traveling, Butler required the homes he was staying in to be covered in tinfoil, <laughs> quote, to protect against electromagnetic <laughs> radiation. So John McVie will be will be very proud. I guess Chris Butler, Chris Butler isn't going to be a slave. <laughs> it's, it is funny, actually, by doing this show, we start to see these strange family resemblances between all of these yeah, characters. Totally. Very weird. We need to make a T-shirt and they're all all these people are on it. Just just all gathered together. One beautiful family portrait. Put them all in a Faraday cage away from us. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> Gabbard doesn't believe these people are credible, though, saying, quote, I can speak to my own personal experience and frankly, my gratitude to him, Butler, for the gift of this wonderful spiritual practice that he has given to me and to so many people. So she does not agree with these people. Yeah, he gave them tons of toenail fungus. Great. Yeah, that's the spiritual secret. They're just tripping nuts all 24-7 <laughs> from his toe jam. According to an article in the, in the Mary Sue, 
Abraham Williams, Tulsi Gabbard's husband, was brought up in the same science of identity circles. So also, according to the Honolulu Civil Beat, Williams works for a company called Blue River Productions, which is also run by other Science of Identity Foundation weirdos. <laughs> and they've been paid so far $76,000 oh. in 2019 by Gabbard's campaign. Hey. So it's nice. Everybody's making All a little right. bit of money. All right. So Gabbard's campaign also has ties to Butler. Sunil Kamani was a member of Gabbard's campaign, helping her outreach to the Indian American community. Kamani also runs a business owned by Waylana, the wife of Chris Butler. So all kinds of connections here. He has also been mm. identified by ex-members as Butler's, quote, right-hand man. So Gabbard's husband makes videos for Waylana's business. According to the Intelligencer, quote, a party chair of the Independence for Godly Government, Bill Pinarosa, is the father of Tulsi Gabbard's current chief of staff, Kanoa Pinarosa. Kanoa had no political experience prior to being hired by Tulsi. So Kanoa was managing the group's health food store. So come on, man. So that's a break up going from managing a health food store to I chief know, right? of staff. Drain the cult swamp. Come on. Come on, Tulsi. Yeah, and we need to start with the health food stores. I mean, the <laughs> health food store cult pipeline yes. is just incredible. Like you said, it's best to keep your authoritarianism local and organic. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Always ferment your authoritarianism before using it. <laughs> That's right. Another delightful person, part of Tulsi Gabbard's campaign with ties to the Science of Identity Foundation is one Chris Robinson. The Honolulu Civil Beat reports that Chris Robinson has an especially large and unusual role in Tulsi Gabbard's campaign. Mm. 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 Gabbard has paid Robinson's company, Northwest Digital, $259,000 in the first six months of 2019, placing the company third in vendor expenditures, only behind Google and Revolution Messaging, which ran Sanders' primary campaign in 2016. Robinson and Gabbard go back as far as 2010 when she was running for the Honolulu City Council that we mentioned above. She paid another Robinson company, Hanu Creative, a staggering $75 <laughs> to run her campaign Damn. website. But Robinson would, you know, he would, uh, those receipts would tick up a bit because from 2013 to 2019, Gabbard has paid Robinson and his companies a total of $531,000. Oh. Yeah, now, given the amount of money that Gabbard is spending on Robinson, one would imagine he's a pretty big shot in, you know, in political operations. Yeah. Uh, well, not exactly. Oh. So Robinson has never worked for any other politician or on any other political campaign. Perfect. However, he did run a website called oinkfoo.com <laughs> that sold T-shirts. He was even willing to draw anything for $12 except porn. Oh, well, there goes that Christmas gift idea for my family. Damn it. <laughs> yeah. They yeah. would have loved it. Yeah, well, instead for Christmas, I mean, what you really should do is go to nundarecalledordinary.com slash merch and purchase our t-shirts. Yes. Yeah. Do it now. And it won't go straight to a cult. Right. Northwest that Digital's company sense. address is a P.O. box in Stihakin, Washington, an isolated town in the northern Cascades Mountains. There is no cell phone service and no way to drive to the city. <laughs> or the town, I should say. Instead, Perfect. one has to take a 55-mile ferry trip, which takes four hours. Or if you, oh. don't, if you don't want to get out on the water, you can use horse or a float plane. Uh, I prefer to travel via float horse, but thanks anyway. Oh, a float horse. Yeah. A float oh. horse, they float. Oh. 
An employee at a lodge in the area captured the isolation with a truly disturbing reference, quote, it's kind of like the shining here in the winter. Lots of snow, not many people. <laughs> I mean, as long as children aren't riding red rum all over the place, you're probably safe. Exactly. I don't think the problem That's with true. the hotel in the shining was the snow. I don't think that was the direct problem. Well, I mean, technically, ultimately, it was a problem for Jack, I guess, in the end. <laughs> Yeah, that's true, but I mean, that's good. All yeah, campaigning good and thing. no play makes Jack a dull boy. <laughs> Gabbard, give me the bat. Give me the bat. Tulsi, give me the bat. So Robinson is getting all this money from Tulsi Gabbard. He is, his company address is in the middle of fucking nowhere. <laughs> what exactly does Northwest Digital do? Unfortunately, its website is not very helpful. Quote, there is no about us page or explanation of what the company does or who owns it. <laughs> oh, man, I am sold. Where can I donate? Oh, let me guess. They don't have a donation page either. Uh, it sounds no, like a cryptocurrency um, exit scam. It sounds <laughs> it like. does. And to just top this all off, Robinson himself and the Gabbard campaign are equally closed lipped. They are not willing to say anything about Robinson or explain exactly what he does. She'll stop war, though, Dylan, so it's okay. That should really be the about page, stopping war. That's what our company does. <laughs> <laughs> Assad is awesome, and we will stop war. But, you know, we don't want to hear about Robinson. We want to hear the thought leader himself. What are some of Chris Butler's exquisite <laughs> high-level ideas? What are some of those, Brent? Exquisite is right. Butler says about himself, quote, I'm not a Hindu. I'm not a Christian. I'm not a Buddhist. I'm not a Muslim. I am an eternal spirit soul an atma part and parcel of the supreme soul so mm. sounds pretty cool butler has known tulsi gabbard since she was just a little girl he says that she has a quote real gravity and seriousness that was way beyond her years so when gabbard was older in politics butler says quote i told her why don't you use the phrase transcendental hinduism so Tulsi has used that term to identify herself in the congressional dining hall, apparently, a few years back. So mm. I, I personally prefer TH over TM. Sorry, David Lynch. Mm. <laughs> Sorry about bad. that. You see, my, I, love I, you, myself, Lynch, I myself prefer TDPCU, um, <laughs> you know, the transcendental deduction of the pure concepts of the understanding. That's actually <laughs> my preferred transcendental thing. <laughs> All right, so Butler and Gabbard have said that the Science of Identity Foundation is not a religious organization, but rather a resource. Butler claims that there is no hierarchy, and he has warned his followers, quote, if I'm not the representative of God and you dovetail your will with mine, then your life is destroyed. And if I am the representative of God and you don't dovetail your will with mine, then your life is wasted. This is like the worst pascal wager yeah argument it of all time. it's supposed to be well look so, if you're a yeah. christian and god doesn't exist it's no big deal because you know what right. you just you didn't have sex big before deal. marriage yeah. uh, this best. is right like if you're a christian there's no god you also go to hell like that's that <laughs> that makes the uh pascal's wager a lot harder to pull off <laughs> well despite just being a resource butler's followers are called disciples and they call him jagad guru or teacher of the world so we, you know, here at Nunder Call Ordinary, we only cover the most humble of people on the podcast. We, but we know that. Oh, so. yeah. Every true thought leader is a, a symbol of humility. So Butler says that a guru is supposed to be, quote, a bona fide representative of the Supreme Lord. Su Supreme Lord, Supreme Soul, 
Jesus, I bet this dude only eats supreme pizzas. Am I right? (laughs) People are saying that Chris Butler was the inspiration for Beef Supreme and Idiocracy. And (laughs) I have to say, I can believe that. I I see see the resemblance. Yeah. So Tulsi Gabbard chalks up most criticism about Chris Butler and his cult as people being Hindu phobic. How convenient. Even though Butler does not claim to be Hindu. Hmm. (laughs) That seems to be hard. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I'm also glad the whole... I'm glad the whole criticism of Israel is anti-Semitic. Canard is transferring to other faiths. <laughs> I like how yep. other faiths are using that yeah. as a uh, nice. as a get out of jail free card. Yeah, it's nice. And despite all this fun stuff, we've learned about Gabbard's culty past and present. In May of this year, podcast juggernaut Joe Rogan said that he had chosen his candidate for president in the upcoming elections in 2020, saying, quote, Tulsi Gabbard's my girl. I'm voting for her. I decided I like her. I met her in person. Fuck it. Fuck it indeed, Joe. Fuck it indeed. What a weird <laughs> phrase to use. This is what happens when your brain is fried when your brain is fried on shrooms and DMT. Yeah. You, end up you always vote. On, you always take DMT before you go vote, that's for sure. Yeah. It's like, should I should I support Medicare for all or should I support single payer? You know what? I'm doing Medicare for all. Fuck it. <laughs> So speaking of uh, fucking it, there is a group of people that Chris Butler doesn't think should be fucking at all. And those people are gay people, unfortunately. And so I just have to say, as we all know, I'm a bit of an SJW. So a bit of a Uh, content warning. I'm just going to throw that out there because I have to say a lot of stuff. That is whatever, Dylan. If our listeners can't handle it, they're just fucking little babies, man. Grow the fuck up. Well, listen to Obama. Grow up. The information we're going to talk to you about comes from us, uh, from Christine Grallo, who is a journalist in Hawaii, and she uncovered thousands of pages of transcribed lectures given by Chris Butler. The lecture shared by Grallo discusses Butler's views about free speech on campus. They'll let you get away with saying you're against war or in favor of free sex. The people who are not allowed to speak, according to Chris Butler, are those with non-materialistic values. Now, what discussions of non-materialistic values are not allowed on college campuses? Butler is focused on one particular example, any discussion that uses the word faggot. According to Grollo, Butler is so enamored with this word, he uses it 128 times in the whole transcript. And I think later on, we'll learn that you're supposed to always you know, vet your guru as being a genuine by finding out whether or not he or she was taught by another genuine guru. And now I think we know who Butler's true guru is. It was Lyndon LaRouge. Yes, that's true. Yeah. Does I'm waiting for the uh, Henry Kissinger hate. I'm yes. sure that's in the uh, the other uh, uh, hitherto unreleased transcripts. Yeah. Now, why does Butler use this word in particular? Uh, he thinks it's really important because, quote, I can't think of a better word because I know that word has the connotation of negativity. In other words, it has a value judgment that comes with it. This is to contrast with the word homosexual, which has a neutral connotation, and the word gay, which, for reasons I do not understand and Butler does not provide, apparently has a positive connotation. So when you call someone gay, you're not only saying they engage in same-sex relationships, you're also saying that's great. Compliment, yeah. I didn't know that, but according to him, that's true. Hmm. In fact, promoting the word gay is a big part of the homosexual agenda. Quote, Mm. the homosexual population has gone way out of their way to get the people in the media to use the word gay. It was a major step for them, a major gain on their part. 
But yeah, Dawson Creek <laughs> started there. <laughs> but the homosexuals are wrong because it is Butler and his ilk that are truly the gay ones and not the homosexuals. After all, quote, he's the one who's worried about AIDS. He's the one who's in a miserable bummer with one of the highest suicide rates. And it should be noted here, you know, before we go any further, that one of the most disturbing elements of this speech is his frequent use of the phrase in a bummer or on a bummer instead of just saying bummed. And I have to be honest, I am in a major bummer that Butler uses such a pathological phrase. It's really, <laughs> it really disturbs me. What a fucking bum. No. He is a yeah. beach bum. Now, perhaps gay people are in a miserable bummer because of assholes like Butler, but he rejects this answer with a reductive explanation. Quote, don't tell me it's because of all the people running around saying faggot. Oh, everybody's calling me a faggot, and therefore I'm always on a bummer, and so I drink a lot. Give me a break. The media loves you. They call you gay. Why aren't you gay? If the word can make you happy, or a word can make you depressed, if my calling you a faggot makes you depressed, then all the mass media is calling you a gay should lift your spirits tremendously. It's so enlightened. <laughs> wow. So I guess, I guess the way it works is when enough people treat you like, you know, a human being worthy of dignity and respect... Slurs shouldn't have any effect. It's no longer go. bad to use That's slurs. Works. Yep. However, I want to I want to be clear here. Butler's aim isn't to, you know, to put gay people on a bummer or anything like that. <laughs> he wants gay people to realize the error of their ways. Oh, OK. That's why I use the word faggot, you see, to make oh. you think why. Hmm. Maybe what I'm doing is negative. Mm -hmm. Maybe what I'm doing, I shouldn't be doing. Yeah. Maybe rimming isn't so great after all. Maybe wow. the old fisting and stuff just isn't what's going to do it for oh, me. What? Oh. Okay, first of all, first question, what exactly is old fisting? Is that like fisting with an elderly person's fist? It's fucking disgusting. Sorry. I'm just going <laughs> to uh, say don't Google that at all. <laughs> no, God, no. Yeah, and plus, you know, hate to break it to Butler, the fisting of the rimming, it's not restricted to just gay people. So, yeah, it can happen to anybody. At the very least, Butler wants to make absolutely sure that you know his use of the word is not a mistake or without thought. He's thought this through very carefully. Quote, it's not habit. It's a conscious decision to express using language to express that which you are trying to communicate. Homosexual. Gay, that does not do it. Shit eaters, that does it. Things like that. Hmm. You need to get words across. Yeah, so beautiful. I love when the teacher of the world slash spiritual master talks about shit eaters and fisting. It's profound stuff. Yeah, it's real it's great. Now, that's all fun. And I just, uh, at this time, you know, for no reason in particular, I thought it would be good to hear what Tulsi yeah. Gabbard uh, thinks about Chris Butler. Quote, I've never heard of him say anything hateful or say anything mean about anybody. <laughs> Dylan, why do you want war? Why do I want war? Because the Weekly Standard pays me okay. to. Uh, and Bill Crystal, we trust. As we know from the Tulsi cult online, if you say anything slightly negative against uh, Tulsi Gabbard, it is because you are just trying to prop up the American empire. That's, That's it. Right. Well, at least we'll admit it. Yeah. Really. <laughs> That's the difference. So all you people that are going to write in if you're hate mail, just know that, yeah, you are talking yep. to some neocons without the clothes on. So we're going to talk about now the philosophy of mind, according to Butler. Ooh. Yeah, it's very educational. Can't wait. In a monumental YouTube video from the Identity of Mind YouTube channel, Butler tells us what's what when it comes to the mind-body problem. 
Not only is the mind-body problem some esoteric metaphysical mind fuck that nerds like Dylan argue about for a living, it's also essential to figure out in order to preserve your own humanity. Butler tells us, quote, I know I exist. I know I exist. And this is the fundamental reality that I can never give up. I know I exist. My self-awareness. Therefore, instead of giving up my self-awareness, I give up the materialist worldview which can't explain my self-awareness. Any theory, any worldview which does not take into account that which is most real cannot be accepted. I thought this was Ben Shapiro for a second. Okay. We don't want to throw away reality. (laughs) That is the awareness of our own existence. I mean, yeah, probably a good idea to dispense with theories that say what is real isn't real. (laughs) Glad gurus like Butler are around to offer such insight. Yeah, you know what? And Tulsi's, you know, she's all about environmentalism. So is Chris Butler, I'm sure. Plus, it's just not environmentally friendly to just throw away reality. You need to recycle reality, guys. Yeah, let's do it. Continuing the quote, we're going to throw away reality in order to protect or hold on to this worldview. This materialist worldview, which holds that there's only one element, matter, we have a choice. We can throw away the materialist worldview, or recycle it, as Brent alluded to. We can throw (laughs) that away, or we can throw away our existence. That's our choice. If I'm not made of matter, I must accept that I'm made of a different element. So elements are matter, but matter is not an element. So that's... Oh, that's a good point. That's a good point. Yep. So for Butler, this different element is called a, quote, life particle, or alternatively, life force or life. Some call it spirit or spirit soul or whatever. Whatever. (laughs) I prefer to call it whatever. Yeah, whatever. Oh, Jesus. When I read this, um, it reminded me of the um, Neil Adams clip I posted to our Instagram account after the Expanding Earth series where Neil Adams says, quote, this is Europa speculation as to its surface composition has included ice slushy ice and well whatever (laughs) pretty pretty fun again we (laughs) see the uh we see the connective tissue between these thought leaders yep it's it's all coming together exactly we we are thought leaders about thought leaders (laughs) download process Uh leaders all right so anyway this what Butler's trying to drill into your mind is this standard false dichotomy that gurus, cult leaders, religious leaders often use to mislead their followers. And the idea is that you must accept either A, all things are made of matter and therefore your consciousness doesn't exist, which they invariably and mockingly present as a reductio ad ad absurdum, even though it's really just a straw man. Or B, there is, as Daniel Dennett would put it, a super califragilistic expialidocious thing called consciousness in addition to matter. Or spirit particle or life force or whatever. Or whatever. And also kind of just two things. One is that contemporary materialists don't literally think the mind is made up of matter in the same way that a Lego construction is made up of Legos. They have all sorts of fancy ways of of dealing with that. But also, even if you deny materialism and you think that mental properties are wholly distinct from physical properties... That doesn't have any exciting conclusion about spirits or souls or whatever. It's just as exciting as the thought that mm. mass is wholly distinct from charge. Well, I, I personally have been excited about that. For uh, years. Wow. <laughs> you are That's a nerd. bigger nerd than Dylan. <laughs> now, it's worth noting that this supercalifragilistic expialidocious life particle, as presented by gurus like Butler, is simply too special to intellectually pin down in any way, shape, or form by those silly materialist scientists. So, by definition, the DAC is stacked against science without rhyme or reason. 
It's just too special and too unique for guys in lab coats, period. There's no need to be sexist, though. It's also too special and unique for women in lab coats, too. We need more women <laughs> I'm in I'm very sorry. <laughs> I need to be more inclusive on who must be excluded. I know I'm showing my lab bias here, but what's with the trashing of the white lab coats? Seems a bit hypocritical since Butler himself wears white linen gown. It's Ooh. like a guru lab coat, so kind of the same thing. I'm trying to make up with my sexism by using white guilt and saying they're white lab coats. That's the key. It's more of a tan guilt, but that's fine. All right, so most importantly, these gurus typically warn us. It's the nefarious and nebulous they ooh, that wish to indoctrinate everyone into believing all that exists is matter, so then they can crush our souls and strip us of our humanity or whatever. This reminds me of uh, evangelical hipsters describing new atheist hipsters. Pretty much. That's basically, yeah, it's very reminiscent of that kind of thing. Very similar. Yeah. All right. So that's not to say that the problems about consciousness and its relationship to the material world are easy or, quote, solved in any definitive sense, mm -hmm. only that this dichotomy is bullshit. Butler's dichotomy is a kind of ultra simplistic substance dualism, which I'm willing to mm -hmm. bet Dylan will tell you isn't even a thing that modern philosophers talk about. Yeah, contemporary, there are uh, contemporary <laughs> substance dualists, and they, they get real fancy with it. Uh, if you're curious, take a look at Stephen Yablo or E.J. Lowe's work. All right, so here's just That's a tiny list of dualist and non-dualist views taken from the authoritative Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy to demonstrate just how incredibly diverse and complicated this issue is. There's property dualism, there's fundamental property dualism, panpsychism, identity theory, functionalism, Non-reductive physicalism, these are just a small sampling of the kinds of dualistic and non-dualistic ideas surrounding the issue. Yeah, and, uh, and honestly, if any of our listeners are um, interested, um, I am getting a PhD in philosophy just at me. At there me on the go. Twitters. I'll tell you all about it. At NDCIO. So the moral of the story is when a cult leader or guru tells you that matter versus soul stuff is your only option, politely point them to the Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy or to Dylan's Twitter, turn around <laughs> and walk away. All right, so now you all know about that. Let's go into how to spot a bona fide spiritual master. Just like a forest, bona fide forest. This is all a big circle here on the episode. <laughs> we don't need to spot him. He's on the podcast. All right, so there's this thing called life particle or soul or whatever, and it's super special and essentially it's me, it's you. That's what it is. But why should I believe Butler? What qualifications does he have to reveal such information? How do I know if Butler is a genuine guru or just a charlatan? Well, wouldn't you know, there's a video on the Science of Identity Foundation, Foundation YouTube channel that answers this very question, aptly titled, How to Find a Genuine Guru. Honestly, I already know he's qualified because of how much he hates gay people. Those ah. folks tend to know a lot about <laughs> souls. Oh, yeah. I always just refer to various guru-reviewed scientific identity journals <laughs> yeah. to vet my gurus, personally, but... Also, is this on PragerU? Because I would just, I could just look at <laughs> Chris on Butler Prager on PragerU. Prager I would love to see it. It's oh, not yeah. Judeo-Christian, so it didn't make the cut, but it's... If you, oh, yeah, good yeah. Point. <laughs> yeah, if you just took it, took out the Eastern philosophy stuff and threw that in, they would totally make it. Also, I think Chris <laughs> Butler would be uh, disgusted by the idea that a one Dave Rubin was allowed to make a PragerU video, mm, so he might decline for that reason. Really good point. But I'm sure Dave Rubin would have him on his show. <laughs> I, I know for a 100% fact I'm he sure. would. <laughs> Of course, well, you know, not just, even a question. People got really upset about you using the word <laughs> faggot. I mean, I'm gay and I don't really care. It's just free speech. <laughs> anyway, someone in Butler's audience asks him, quote, how do I know that you are dot dot dot? Butler interrupts and finishes her question. A bona fide spiritual master. That is a good question. An intelligent person must ask this question. 
And on that point, I agree with Butler. Yes, you should ask that question. <laughs> Me too. Butler says, quote, you can know from God. Mm. But then he pauses a bit okay. because he realizes that even for him, that's a profoundly stupid thing to say. <laughs> After some visible mental struggle, he then says there's three ways, which incidentally, Butler emphasizes are in no particular order. Oh, good. Yeah. Uh, it should be noted that on our outline, uh, Forrest has decided to number them, implying that they are in a particular order. So... I was greatly confused by this. <laughs> Thank God. Well, this is that. the order in which he says it, but you don't have to <laughs> okay. take it in this order. Thank okay. God. I'm going to reverse it. So number one, but not, you know, in any particular order from within <laughs> the heart, your heart will tell you that oh. by placing your life in Butler's hands, you place your life in God's hands. I think all my heart is telling me is to maybe lay off all the pizza I've been eating. I think my heart <laughs> would really appreciate that. Dylan, not the Supreme pizza, though. Come on. Uh, Oh, that. that's true. I just need to switch my, my pizza intake. I got you. <laughs> yeah, otherwise you, your Atma will be, you know, will, will oh, go away if you don't have it. A pepperoni is an Atma on the Supreme Pizza. <laughs> it's the monad of, of Butler's spiritual <laughs> cosmology is the pepperoni. <laughs> so number two, in, in no ascending or descending order, the bona fide spiritual master teaches from the essence and correct interpretation of scripture. Oh, well, at least that's not too vague. Yep. No, he's telling you it's correct. You just know what correct is. Research. Three, the bona fide spiritual master must have been taught by another bona fide spiritual master all the way back to the first bona fide spiritual master <laughs> who was taught by God himself. See, I, I think this is a problem because this entails that God himself is not a bona fide spiritual master. Because God was not taught by a bona fide spiritual master, so God himself oh, can't no. be. And uh, so the quote first bona fide spiritual master isn't bona fide at all. It's all fake. No. <laughs> I was, that's too bad because no. I was going to say it's bona fide spiritual masters all the way down, guys. No, there's no there's bona fide no. spiritual yeah. masters. You got wrong. it wrong. I was wrong. See, what they need to do is uh, Chris Butler needs to go back in time and teach <laughs> God to be a bona fide spiritual master. And then it's like a circle. <laughs> It's like a circular That's thing. That's a mind fuck. Which is better than nothing. <laughs> wow. That's even crazier than the grandfather paradox. That one's that's <laughs> yeah, really that's really hard. Could you that's become really your own bona fide spiritual master? Butler is not asking for blind faith. Over and over he says you must check all his claims. See, he's an empiricist, he's all into that. And how do you check them? Well, from the heart, of course. Mm. Oh. And and also checking to see if his spiritual master is from a long line of uh, spiritual masters all the way back to God. And also to make sure he has the correct interpretation of scriptures. So, uh, yeah. And but, you know, since you can only get the correct interpretation from a bona fide spiritual master, then I guess you just have to take his word for it. I, Butler says this is by no means a, quote, simple thing. And again, I agree with that last point, too. <laughs> um, I, I do just want to say, though, that not taking his word for it, however, is quite simple. It's pretty yeah. easy. <laughs> the simplest of things yeah. actually yes. i i always vet my spiritual bona fide spiritual masters just by tasting their fingernails i just want to make sure if i can get that taste <laughs> and i know i'll follow them <laughs> after butler tells us over and over again to check every claim he says and not rely on blind, blind faith he also warns about quote blind skepticism mm. he then seems to kind of realize he's shown his hand a bit so he goes off on a rant about blind faith to steer everyone's attention away from that point. <laughs> and I got to say, in this age of Trump, I got to say, it kind of made me sentimental. I kind of <laughs> miss the days when cult leaders would reel it back when they realized yeah, they totally. said something totally unbelievable. I mean, make bullshit plausible again, yes. please. Yeah. Old cult leader nostalgia. I feel you. So what if I don't go with blind faith and I have my doubts? What if I make the wrong decision when choosing my bona fide spiritual guru? 
Butler says that you've got nothing to worry about because by definition, you've got nothing to lose. (laughs) Quote, if I'm a charlatan, then you're protected by God in your heart and you're protected by scripture. So you don't need to worry about that. (laughs) So I guess when Butler, I guess Butler is wrong when he said intelligent people need to ask if a guru is genuine since the answer doesn't matter at all. (laughs) And with Butler's genuineness in terms of being a guru for debate, we are done with this episode on Tulsi Gabbard, Chris Butler, and the Science of Identity Foundation. So, Brent, Forrest, what did you learn in today's episode? What most appealed to you? Um, I I would just say that if someone has you eating dirt or eating their toenail clippings or phenol clippings, that's not not a good sign. You may want to get out of there. Yeah. No, I don't Espe- know. I, I, especially when they quarantine you. Yes. You know, first. Exactly. Yeah, if you're in a quarantine scenario and forced to eat toenail <laughs> that's a bad combo. No, I mean, I, I have always been very, you know, skeptical, I guess, of Gabbard and just her confusing stances. And she, I did not, but, but learning she's involved in this cult is pretty intense and horrifying. So I hope everybody. Oh, I didn't even have to go to the cult. Just the no, buddy-buddiness with fire, Assad but, yeah. is, is you're done. In oh, my of mind. course. Yeah. The whole Assad thing was, is just you know, un- unacceptable, but I don't know. But to me, you know, Chris Butler, just like what Serge, uh, Sherry Schreiner, we're going to get more hate mail. Um, Jonathan Kahn of the MAGA church. These people are, they're just feeding out people's weaknesses and they're all part of the same family. We got to make the family tree of all these people like the evolutionary. Yeah. Tree. I mean, I was about to say the same thing. I didn't really learn anything. It's just, it's becoming more and more apparent um, that there are these very strong resemblances between all these people it's it's almost to the point where it's just redundant. <laughs> it seems. Like, I know it kind of is in a lot of ways. What about you, Dylan? What did I learn? I think the thing I learned is I think this makes a little bit more sense of Tulsi Gabbard, honestly, because um, Tulsi Gabbard is, as the Intelligencer article mentioned, a very bizarre mm-hmm. candidate who kind of had social conservatism mixed with a, you know, quote unquote non-interventionism, pro Assad, <laughs> Putin foreign policy. It's just a very weird, you know, pro environmentalism, just a weird mix of stuff. It just, it all, a lot of it seems to stem back from Chris Butler having all sorts of weird, goofy beliefs and that it kind of filtered. This idea of fascism being kind of like a strange mix of all kinds of different tendencies Mm -hmm. and ideologies. It seems like even if you go all the way back to the original Mussolini, as Umberto Eco said, this is kind of paraphrasing. He said Mussolini didn't have principles or values. He just had rhetoric. Yes. And there's something going on yeah. with all these people where you, you find that they are actually less ideological in, like a, in, a, in a straightforward way than you would imagine. Yeah. I mean, I think Chris Butler really loves surfing. And so ultimately, that is why Tulsi Gabbard has been such a big proponent yeah. of environmentalism. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, it's because she was raised in this cult because of this fucking loser nerd who wanted to be, you know, surfing all day instead of getting a <laughs> real job. And so that's why she's doing, you know, passing all these kind of ceremonial bills in the house. It's incredible. Yeah. But I mean, like this, this thing where people have this strange affiliation with both the far left and the far right, like Lyndon LaRouge was that way. Yes, Even like yeah. I said, Mussolini yeah. was that way. I mean, to some extent, kind of Donald Trump, not in a strict ideological sense, but Trump was all over the map, too. I mean, oh, yeah, especially as a candidate, um, you, you do see this. It doesn't mean that if you've like 
gone from one ideology to the other, like, oh, you're a fascist. That's not, not what I mean. But it seems to be, like, seems to strongly correlate with uh, people that have fascistic kind of tendencies. Buddying up with dictators in the name of non-interventionism. That's another thing that's right, kind of right, right. spooky. It's again, it's this idea that what should replace American foreign policy adventurism abroad should be local dictators um, of ruling. Uh, you know, I understand I understand the kind of the position that uh, U.S. intervention right. makes things worse. And so sometimes you have to just accept a um, a, a brutal state than you would like because there are no options aside from intervention. What I don't understand is Tulsi Gabbard actually meeting with Assad and actually being like, you know, right. Assad's actually yeah, exactly. It, you know, yeah. That is. And the other thing too, yeah. I, th I yeah, do exactly. think that Kurdistan is a special case, especially because, you know, they very, they actually are like explicitly pro West and pro America. Mm -hmm. And they're yeah. trying to actually create a civil secular type society in the Middle East. And, you know, it's just a shame that, yeah. that well, it's a shame of what Trump did. It's let's put it that way. Tragedy. Yeah. And we do, and we do not want to drive them into Assad's oh, hands. Let's no. put it that way. And one kind of thing we want to remind people is uh, we haven't reminded people in a while, but we always love hearing what we've done wrong. And I imagine if there are Tulsi stands amongst <laughs> you listening right now, you think oh, we've I'm gotten sure. a lot of oh, let things me, let wrong. Me, as a neocon, so let me preempt can... <laughs> them. I am not saying Tulsi Gabbard is a fascist, okay? That's not what I was <laughs> what I was trying to get at, like straight up. You know what? I'm going to have fun. I'm going to say she is a fascist. <laughs> okay, yeah. have some, get let's that just, traffic. I want to get some pushback <laughs> on here. Chris Butler, though, he is a fascist in waiting. But anyway, go ahead. <laughs> Yes, so you can always email us, uh, none dare call it ordinary at gmail.com. Let us know what we got wrong about Tulsi Gabbard or Chris Butler or the Science of Identity Foundation. We'd love to hear from you and privately uh, make fun of you if you say something <laughs> dumb. <laughs> and on that note, we are done. Thank you for listening to None Dare Call It Ordinary. You can find us on Twitter at NDCIO, Instagram at None Dare Call It Ordinary, and send us an email at None Dare Call It Ordinary at gmail.com. For only $1 a month, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash None Dare Call It Ordinary. For information on all our episodes, as well as links to our YouTube channel and Discord server, head over to our website at nondarecallitordinary.com. As always, we ask that you please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes or wherever your podcasts are served. <laughs>